we have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Hi, I'm Ben Kantak and you're listening to Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. My guest today is Dr. Kylie Cairns. Kylie is a population geneticist and runs the Dingo Genetics Research Program. Her aim is to gather more genetic information from dingoes in order to protect them and break with the perception of dingoes as feral wild dogs. On this episode, she explains her position in a decade-long and heated scientific debate about the identity and future of Australia's land-based apex predator. I'm really excited to talk to Kylie on this episode of Talking Australia. Thanks for joining us, Kylie. Thanks so much for having me. What sparked your interest in, in genomics and then obviously in dingoes in the first place? How, how did you end up? doing what you're doing? Look, I've always been fascinated with uh, watching TV shows like CSI. Um, and I guess that's where I started to get interest in DNA and what you could use DNA to do. And then at university, I started to sort of learn more about how we can use DNA to teach us about conservation and how we can manage our animals better. And um, something I've always been really into animals. Like I wanted to be a vet at first when I was a child and I loved dogs. So I guess that was sort of where I first got interest in doing genetics and also studying animals um, and specifically dingoes. Well, um, I love dogs and there just became an opportunity to do a PhD in dingoes. And I just thought, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, I'm an American. I didn't know as much about dingoes as probably most Australian people. So that was quite interesting coming in there. Um, but since I started studying them, like I've just become so interested and passionate about them. Yeah. And I feel that's something, you know, I'm originally from Germany, so I'm fascinated by, by the wildlife here. And, um, and dingoes is obviously something that just screams Australian identity, but it's interesting for, for being an apex predator here in Australia, very little is known about dingoes. What are the reasons for that? Well, um, I think a lot of it is because there's an assumption that dingoes will act the same as dogs and wolves. And so we don't need to study some things in detail as much as, you know, perhaps we should. Um, and I think also dingoes have a really controversial history in Australia. Um, because of their impact on the sheep industry and colonists when they first came and invaded in Australia, um, you know, that really made them not very popular. And so people didn't want to study them for what they are. They wanted to think about, you know, let's get rid of these animals that are causing issues for our, for our livestock and our farming. Yeah, and the misconception dingoes are mostly basically wild dogs. It seems incredibly hard to alter. And why is it so hard to change this narrative? It seems incredibly hard. Yeah, so the wild dog um, terminology is really something that's been brought in as a way to refer to 
the dingo population um, collectively with feral dogs. Um, probably because people find it more palatable to talk about killing wild dogs um, or a feral animal than they do about killing dingoes, which are a native animal. Um, so that's one of the reasons. Also because there has been for a long period of time in Australia this uncertainty and discussion about how much um, dingoes have dog ancestry or how much hybridization there is in dingoes um, and so a lot of people believe that there are virtually no dingoes left in the mainland of Australia and that pretty much all of them are hybrids or feral dogs now and I think that that's really challenging to to sort of pick that apart and and challenge and discuss that with science because a lot of people just have their idea of that's what it is and you can't convince me no matter what. Yeah, and obviously DNA testing plays a huge role in, in trying to, to change exactly that narrative. Um, before DNA testing was even possible, the way that people believe to determine whether an animal they see was a pure dingo or, or dingo or just a wild dog was based on appearance. How accurate is this method identifying whether it's a dingo or wild dog um, just based on appearance? Yeah, so it's wildly inaccurate. Uh, and basically that's because there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about what dingoes can or can't look like. So a lot of people fixate on coat color and will say, oh, you know, that animal can't be a dingo because it's not, it's not that classic sandy yellow colored animal, it's black or it's got stripes on it and therefore it cannot be a dingo. Um, and that's just not accurate. Um, the other thing is that people did used to do skull morphology testing on dingoes. So that required you to have the skull of the animal. So it had to be dead. And then they would measure up the different bits of the skull to see if they could um, ascertain if it was a pure dingo or a hybrid. And whilst that was really common in the 1980s and possibly even 1970s, it's now not used anymore because there has been new, new research that showed that even dingoes that have some dog ancestry in them, they maintain a really striking dingo skull shape. And so it's not accurate at picking up dog ancestry. We really need to use genetics. But funnily enough, even with the, the current technology that we have and all the DNA testing, it makes it even nowadays, it makes it very challenging to determine uh, an animal's identity, even with the latest technology. Why is it so hard? I mean, people would think, oh, you can you know, do DNA testing. It should be super easy. Why is there still debate? Yeah, so um, basically the DNA testing works by looking at several different bits along the genome or the bit of DNA in a dingo and then comparing that to a reference population or a population of known dingoes and a population of known dogs and saying which one is it more likely to be. Um, the problem with that and the way that it's used in Australia is that the DNA test that we use is quite old. It was developed in the 1990s and it uses a small number of these bits of DNA. Um, and so as we've learned more about dingoes, we know that there's different types of dingoes across Australia. Um, and so that means that we're less certain about what the DNA testing is actually telling us. The reason why there's still lots of debate about dingoes and DNA testing is that a lot of animals actually don't get DNA tested and so it's sort of people still applying that physical appearance test um, and then arguing well you know I saw this 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 wild dog that was you know 
spotty. So it couldn't possibly have been a dingo, but I'm not going to get it DNA tested because it's just not a dingo. Um, and so there's lots of myths that persist in the field. So basically what you're trying to do is uh, do a full genome test now. Is that is that correct? Is that the right terminology? Yeah. So my research now is looking at using new DNA techniques to get better DNA test results for dingoes. Uh, so instead of using the old method, which was looking at 23 bits of DNA, uh, we're looking at like 320,000. So it's a really big change. Um, however, that research project that I'm working on, it's not completely finished yet. So we're still working on it. And I think I'll probably be publishing the results of that next year. Oh, fascinating. Who's helping you with, uh, with, the, with the samples? Yes, well, I get samples from pretty much anyone across Australia. It could be somebody that came across a dead dingo on the road or found some dingoes hanging on a fence. It could be a trapper who's um, shot some dingoes and wants to know what sort of ancestry they are, whether they're dingoes or dogs or what. Um, also conservation organisations or people that have rescued wild pups. Um, they send me DNA samples and those all go into the project. So I've probably got about 800 dingoes collected across Australia so far. And then I'm, I've also got a lot of dog samples to compare them to, to get like a better idea of how dingoes and dogs are related to each other and how we can detect hybridization. Yeah, speaking about hybridization, um, the dingo identity debate goes on for decades and decades, and especially on the East Coast, there has been a lot of hybridization. Um, the, the argument is that as a population, dingoes still remain their genetic identity. Um, how much dog can be in a dingo before it is no longer a dingo, and why does this matter? Yeah, so I mean, that's a really difficult question to answer because I guess everybody will have their own opinion about how what? much is allowed. <laughs> what is allowed? How much is allowed in your opinion? Let's start there. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it depends on what sort of DNA test you're using. So yeah. if, if we're looking at the old DNA test, which was um, only based on a small number of markers, I think that it's reasonable to allow a level of dog ancestry in animals that we think might be pure dingoes. So up to like 10, 20%. And that's because we know that the DNA test method is not as accurate. And so it may misclassify dingoes as hybrids, even though they're not just because they're from different parts of Australia. Um, however, as we get better DNA testing technology, we can start looking at, you know, really fine detail of how much dog is in an animal. Is it 1%? Is it 3%? Is it 5%? Um, and I think there's a number that, that's been banded around that, like, an animal that has more than 93% dingo should be classified as a dingo. I think I'm comfortable with that. Um, that would mean that their last dog ancestor or the last parent that was a dog was, like, five or six generations ago. So that's quite a long period of time ago. Um, and I think that if you look at the way that genetics is um, being used around the world to look at ancestry of wild animals, we know now that there's much more interbreeding between animal populations that we didn't think could interbreed. Um, and so, you know, even wolves that you would see in the wild, some of them will have up to 10% dog or coyote in them. But that doesn't mean that they're not a wolf. They're still a wolf. They just have a little bit of extra in them. Kylie, what does the DNA testing actually show when you try to, to determine whether an animal is a dingo, dingo hybrid, or um, a domestic dog? 
we have done DNA testing on over 5,000 wild dogs or canids around Australia uh, using this, this DNA testing method. And what we found quite to our surprise is that a vast majority of the animals across Australia were actually pure dingoes. So about 64% of these animals. Um, and that even more surprisingly, more than 20% of those animals were um, greater than 75% dingo. So we have we have a total of 85% of the ding, of the dingo population wow. has more than three quarters dingo in them. And that that just sort of breaks that myth about oh you know there's no dingoes left in the wild. There's there's lots of dingoes left in the environment. Some of them are pure, some of them carry some dog ancestry, but you know 85% of the population has more dingo in them than anything else. Um, and then when you look at the flip side of that, so how many feral dogs do we have in Australia? We were really surprised by this. So we had 5,039 samples and we found 31 feral dogs across all of Australia. Wow, 31. that's all. That's all. That's all. And, and, and also, we only found 27 animals that were um, first generation dingo cross dogs. So that's that's the offspring of a dingo mating with a dog. Um, and that's a really small number of animals when you're talking about 5,000 animals across Australia. We're having less than 100 animals have any serious amount of domestic dog ancestry. Feral dog, again, that means either no dingo ancestry at all or so far removed. I mean, we're talking how many generations? Yeah, so, I mean, really, a feral dog is genetically just a domestic dog like yeah. your labrador or whatever yeah. that's just living in the wild and what the data is sort of showing us the fact that there's so few of them means that there's not really a feral dog population living in yeah. the wild yeah. um probably those animals are just ones that have escaped from the local farm or gone camping or hunting with somebody and gotten lost and they're stuck out there um and that the low number of um, hybrids that we're seeing as well is showing that, you know, dingoes are not breeding with dogs very often. Um, 27 animals out of 5,000 is not a huge amount of the population breeding. Um, and so I guess that's why some of the scientists are starting to, to argue that we need to be shifting our terminology, that really there's very few to no feral dogs in the natural environment in Australia. Um, and most of those animals that are there are mostly dingo. And so the term that we should be using to describe them is dingo because that is what they are. Yeah, and also um, I think people then maybe assume, yeah, you know, the, you, have, you have feral dogs and they're absolutely thriving in numbers out there. I mean, which you proved with this study is not the case. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's pretty it's pretty hard for for a feral dog to survive in the Australian wild, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, and I guess the thing is, is that we have to think about what what's the difference between dingoes and dogs. So dogs have been shaped by humans over thousands of years to become the ultimate pet. They're reliant on us. They live with us. They use us for food. We help them reproduce. Like they are pets. And dingoes, they haven't had that, that shaping and that, that manipulation by humans over thousands of years. They've been living in the wild in Australia for thousands of years, at least 5,000 years, but probably up to 10,000 years. And that means that they are adapted to living in the environment. And dogs, they just aren't. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I mean, wolves are a great example um, that that you know people use to compare this debate to. Um, what's the concept called? Biological species concept, I think, is the is the concept that they use, where they say animals that can breed with each other, like dogs and dingoes, they should be regarded as the same species. But then funnily enough for wolves, this doesn't apply because they can breed with dogs, but nobody would ever question um, whether wolves are like their own species or not. Um, what's the reason for that? I've, that that's fascinating. Like, why can't why can't even science agree on this? You know, that that people, like colleagues of yours, um, criticize you and others that go along your your idea of you know just basically saying, listen, we should just call them dingoes, then we can have a good open conversation about it and managing them in, in the environment rather than going about this nitty bitty how many percentage is it now feral not feral um why why can't even science agree on all this um when we think of the comparison to to wolves and the yeah. biological species concept uh that's a really uh good question but also another difficult one so um i guess the thing is is that scientists have different ways of defining what is a species and people have been talking about this problem or this question for quite a long period of time you know since since charles darwin um so it's not something that people have worked out and there's lots of different opinions about how it should be done the biological species concept says that um animals that cannot reproduce together are different species, but there are some um, animal populations where that doesn't make sense. Uh, and we know, for example, with, with the onset of next generation sequencing, that lots more animal species can reproduce together than we thought were possible. There's examples all over the world of animals that can reproduce together. Um, it may not be something that they're doing now, it may have been something that they were doing thousands of years ago, but they certainly have been doing it. Um, and, and canids or, or the dog family is one example. So wolves and coyotes and jackals and dogs and dingoes, they can all reproduce together and create fertile offspring. But nobody would argue that a coyote or a wolf uh, is the same species because they are different and they fulfill different ecological roles and they do different things and they're physically different, um, behaviorally different. So I guess, Science is not so much about using, about coming up with um, strict rules. It's about trying to figure out what's going on in the natural world and using data to back that up. And so that's sort of the problem. And it seems exactly that's where it becomes a very emotional debate, even within the realm of science, doesn't it? Because then all of a sudden it really seems that this whole um yeah conception misconception conception or whatever you want to call it, this whole idea plays seems to play a role in how we treat dingoes compared to for example wolves or other canine species it feels there's like an emotional level to it yeah i think that there is an emotional level about dingoes specifically um and that's partly because of the fact that they have had an impact on livestock production in australia um, over a long period of time. And so in the sort of community or the cultural identity of Australia, we have this villain, which is the dingo. And we they look a lot like dogs. And so we don't respect them for being the apex predator of Australia. We sort of want to write them off as, oh, you know, just this feral animal that we don't want anymore and we can get rid of them. And there's no problem because that's fine. Um, but it's not fine because... 
we really need an apex predator in Australia. We don't have any other ones. The dingo is that one now. Um, and so we can't just remove it from the environment and have no impact. But the fact that dingoes are um, seen as a problem by quite a few people, especially in the agricultural sector, that leads to action. And um, I mean, right across Australia, there is a coordinated effort to kill dingoes, like baiting, um, whether it's by baiting or by shooting. And it's not just by the landholders, it's also by, uh, done by local and state governments too. Um, mm. These culling programs, they're still based on this wild dog idea, it seems, and it puts a lot of pressure on the dingo populations. What impact does culling have on the population? Because you have a strong argument as well when it comes to, for example, the pack structure and family structure, which I think is fascinating. We know from studying canids in general, so that's wolves and coyotes and dingoes, that they have strong social structures. So they have strong bonds between each other in the pack. And um, when you remove an animal from that pack, particularly if it's one of the older um, or apex ones, then that can fracture that family group. Um, and it will cause their, the animal that's remaining to potentially have to go and seek a new mate. And if they cannot come across a mate that is of their own species, like for example, a dingo cannot find another dingo because there's been a culling program, then they may be forced to mate with whatever they come across, which may in that case be a dog. Um, and so this is a problem for dingoes in Australia, but it's also a problem for wolves in Europe or in North America. Um, and particularly red wolves in North America have been really impacted by this because their population is so low that when um, lethal control is used on one of their, one of their, you know, one of the animals, um, it will mean that that red wolf doesn't have anyone to breed with. And so they will breed with coyotes. And so fix solving that problem in the wild is really difficult. Yeah, and, and talking about wolves and, and their positive impact on the natural world, and you know, then you have some people within the agriculture sector that argue against that, for example, also in Europe, like about their negative impact on the on the livestock industry there. Um, it seems like that's the difficult part to find a solution for, right? Because like one thing is the natural world, but then also obviously we we all, or people definitely can agree that, for example, dingoes, they don't mix well with sheep. So the question is, even within the agriculture sector right now, there seems to be a little bit of a paradigm shift. And some farmers see the benefits of protecting dingo populations rather than pushing for more culling. But it also seems to depend on what kind of livestock the farmers are looking after. I mean, you know, sheep farming versus cattle farming. How can we align dingo protection with uh, specifically sheep farming? Yeah, so, I mean, definitely different types of livestock are impacted by predators in different ways, uh, and sheep are more strongly impacted by dingoes than cattle, for example, and that's because they don't have very good ways of protecting themselves from predators. Um, so, in most of the world, as well as in history, when we when humans needed to protect our livestock we would put in place methods to do that so we would use fencing or we would use livestock guardian dogs or we would have shepherds to protect our sheep um, in europe that would have been uh, from wolves um, but in australia the way that agriculture has evolved is quite different we have become accustomed to putting our sheep into large paddocks and not protecting them the protection is well we'll just kill all the dingoes and therefore the sheep are safe. Um, but to re sort of start 
a discussion about how we need to be managing the landscape and how, and how we can coexist with dingoes, basically we need to bring back some of these old practices, but with a new twist. So we need to be thinking about how we can protect the sheep when they're in um, paddocks and, and, and things like electric fencing or using livestock guardian dogs have been shown to be really effective in Australia, but also overseas. People are also mentioning predator-proof fencing as one way to deal with it, which obviously involves a lot of costs, and it's not as easy as just putting up the fence and and then just you know and then you're done. That's that's the end of it. There's the whole theory of of a healthy landscape. In order to have a healthy landscape, you need an apex predator. Yes. How much impact do dingoes really have on sheep? How does it look like in reality? Yeah. So that's quite difficult to answer just because there's not very good data or very good information yeah. about how many sheep are actually lost to dingoes or, um, you know, how, how many dingoes are being killed. Um, and I think that that's something that we as Australians, but also the government needs to consider is that if we're going to continue down this path of culling dingoes, then we need to be making sure that the methods are effective and also that, um, we have data and to justify why we're killing these dingoes because at the moment it doesn't seem to be much economic um, sense in doing it. For example, if you look at the livestock loss in New South Wales, you're not losing thousands and thousands of animals per area, you're losing hundreds. Um, and that's not really a huge impact. I mean, it's and it's an impact to an individual farmer if they lose, um, you know, 100 sheep or even 200 sheep. But across the state, that's not as much of an impact. And we need to be thinking about how can we, you know, subsidize that cost to the farmer so that we can still have dingoes in the environment doing their, their ecological role, particularly in national parks, um, and balance that out. Yeah, so it seems like it's it's definitely more of a, a political problem because I mean you're calling for for just you know seeing them all as dingoes and having this open, very transparent discussion about managing dingoes in the environment as part as as a vital part of it. And you know then exactly to your point, you might look still at 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 culling at some level, but then how will we do it? How what 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 way can it be done that it that it kind of allows um, the species to still thrive to a certain level. I think something that's really frustrating from my perspective as a conservation scientist and, and you know, somebody who studies dingoes is that there doesn't seem to be much respect for the value that dingoes play in the yeah. natural environment. And um, we see that being played out in how they're being treated in national parks. So national parks are these parts of the landscape that are supposed to be used for, you know, retaining and protecting our natural environment and our natural, our, our native animals. Um, and yet, particularly in New South Wales, we do aerial baiting across many national parks. It may not be the entire national park, but it will be large parts of the national park. And that baiting is focused at killing dingoes. Um, and so, you know, there needs to be a shift in the way that we're managing dingoes and, and the way that they're being treated inside national parks. Because I think that few people would argue that farmers shouldn't be able to manage dingoes that are causing an issue for their livestock on their private property. Absolutely, yeah. But there's a different sort of discussion about should we be killing our native predator inside of national parks, which is supposed to be for conservation and protection. 
Now, uh, speaking of national parks, obviously there's a massive issue with, with feral species in Australia. Um, and in order to manage those, the dingo can play or is playing a vital role, isn't it? Yeah, so dingoes play an important role in managing feral pests, um, particularly feral herbivores. So they will eat <laughs> goats and pigs and other other feral animals that are living in national parks. They will also have an impact on feral predators like foxes and cats. They may not completely exclude them, but they may reduce their abundance. So the amount of them in a national park. And they may also alter the way that those predators are using the landscape. So for example, the cats may be forced to hunt at different periods of time, which may benefit um, small marsupials or birds or reptiles. And so, you know, having, there's a, there's a wealth of research that's shown that having dingoes in the environment can be really beneficial to our native fauna. My last, my last question to you is this, Kylie. Um, it's 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 fascinating to me that you know there's this strong debate about dingoes, wild dogs, all that, and you know people might argue that the underlying tone is rather negative. People like you trying to change that narrative right now, but then you look at, for example, cattle dogs, like the Blue Heeler. There's a massive TV show now. Every kid loves Blue Heelers, and funnily enough. The one thing that people tell me again and again when it comes to the beloved blue healers or healers in general is there's some dingo in them. So it's <laughs> it's such a it's such a bizarre thing that you know there's a lot of negativity surrounding the real animal, the real dingo, but then at the same time it's a lot of positivity and pride about talking about healer dogs and how you know vital or an important part is there their connection to dingoes. Um, I, I can't get my head around that. I think it's, it makes me smile, but in a way that I, I can't, I, it's very, it's, it's amusing sometimes to see yes. there's such a discrepancy about it. Yeah, it, it is fascinating. And I, I think um, something that sort of plays into that as well is that if you talk to people of the general public about dingoes, a lot of them will be like, oh yeah, dingoes are fascinating. They're amazing. They're a native animal. There's no question. Um, but the problem is, is that the way that we talk about dingoes in legislation and the way that we manage our environment, we don't talk about dingoes being in national parks. We talk about wild dogs. And so people sort of don't realise that when we talk about wild dog management, we're actually talking about dingoes. Um, and so there's this um, dichotomy, I guess, in how people are viewing what's going on. Um, people love visiting Fraser Island, for example, because, oh, you might get a chance to see a pure dingo. But the reality is, is that if you go into a national park, even in New South Wales, you may well see a pure dingo, or at least an animal that is more dingo than anything else. Um, so yeah, it's really fascinating. And I guess it is also really interesting how a lot of these um, working dog breeds that have been so vital to the agriculture industry um, over the last 250 years, that they have been shaped by dingoes in many cases yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, <laughs> and people love their dogs, but then then they shoot a lot of people like, yeah. hate dingoes. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's just really interesting. I think there's something um, really confronting when you see a picture of a dingo trapper who is proudly, you know, hanging up their dingo on a tree or something, and they've got their pet dog posing with them and you're just like okay <laughs> that really just shows sort of the the fracture 
in how people are viewing dingoes and, and dogs. Yeah, and thanks to you and other colleagues um, that are trying to change that debate um, that might change in the near future. Thank you so much for your time and uh, can't wait for your new findings and your new study to be revealed soon. Thanks so much. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.